What up? This is Dart Adams, and this is Dart Against Humanity, episode 37. I would have recorded this episode sooner, except for, one, I went to go see um, Captain Marvel this morning. It is now this afternoon, because I've been spending time on Twitter bullshitting, and between that time, me not recording the podcast, paying my rent, doing a whole bunch of other shit, um, I had to wait for these dudes in my hallway to stop arguing about Captain America. Super loudly. Live on the first floor, right next to the lobby. And as you all know, I record this podcast on a phone. So it would pick up everything. And I ain't trying to record anything over. That being the case, yeah, I did uh, go see Captain Marvel. Uh, one of the reasons why I made it a point to go see it early is because Twitter kind of forced my hand. Um... One of the weird things that happens is different narratives get placed on films, whether it's through reviews or buzz online or a lack of buzz online through social media platforms such as Twitter, which is, you know, real time social media. I have no idea what they're saying on Facebook because who goes on Facebook? And then, of course, there are these things that you see on Instagram. Why anyone pays attention? I don't know. The memes on Instagram are, don't even have words spelled correctly. And people are like, word, this is true. Shut up. So I decided to go see this film because, one, I'm sick of reading people's reviews of it who I don't really know how to gauge their taste or what they know about the Marvel Universe. In particular, uh, issues regarding the Korean scrolls and those other, like, uh, otherworldly races or alien alien races in the Marvel Universe or in particular the character of Captain Marvel if you have no interest previously or no exposure to Captain Marvel or who was called Miss Marvel then chances are you weren't super hyped about this film going into it if you haven't been waiting to see the to see the scrolls on screen then chances are you weren't super hyped about this film. I fall into the category of people that wanted to see both. I wanted to see how somebody was going to try to adapt this war, epic war and rivalry. It's more more than a rivalry. Red Sox fucking Yankees is a rivalry. Um, Between these two races depicted on screen. And then how are they going to do this new origin story for a character that they have to introduce because she's going to play a major role in Endgame? And how are they going to make it as engaging as uh, the introduction films of Iron Man? Uh, how are they going to make it as in- is, uh, like crowd-pleasing as films like Guardians of the Galaxy? Are they going to be able to make it as um, entertaining as films like uh, Captain America's Winter Soldier? Like, there's all these things that they have to do. They have to toe a line. They have to do certain things and deliver the message and get the girl power part in there. And then they have to also do it within the frameworks of the film. It's set in 1995. So how are we going to do this movie in 1995? We're going to have a young um, 
we're gonna have a young fury and we're gonna have like shield shield in the confines of 1995 interacting with this character how are we going to make all that shit work and then tie it in to what's already going on in the mcu good luck with that adaptation job now with somebody who again has 40 years of marvel shit jammed into their into their head and is a writer i have an idea of how i would have approached this and i have to say that had i done some of the things i wanted to i probably would have fucked some stuff up made some mistakes they avoided all this they made an origin film that was entertaining not boring in any way shape or form not derivative in any way shape or form and it touches all all the all the check boxes all the check boxes and extra and i have to say that like the on-screen chemistry between sam jackson and brie larson is really the crux of what sold the film she was really good like um every like people love wonder woman i like wonder woman uh but I can't say that I loved Wonder Woman because Gal Gadot was playing Wonder Woman. I think that they did a good job at framing the film in a way where Gal, Gal Gadot could shine as Wonder Woman. If you know what I mean. Or if you get exactly what I'm saying. I don't think that they were like, yo, we need Gal Gadot to play Wonder Woman because she's the only woman that could really pull it off in the way we need for it to, to go. When you see Captain Marvel, casting Brie Larson in this role was a coup. It was the perfect decision. And casting her um, opposite Sam Jackson made the film. Everybody else's interactions with these people or them together is what sold this movie is what made the movie work those two on screen together made this entire thing and i think that like there were a lot of excellent decisions made in far as in terms of pacing the film how they did the um the, the storytelling everything that made this shit really work i don't like jumping out and saying definitively how good a movie was because i think that after a while things start to settle in and you figure things out like black panther i really loved black panther the first three times i saw it the more i saw like people talk about it and i sat down with it and i watched it and i was more critical of it i didn't have it as high as i did from my uh, initial three viewings you gotta remember i saw that movie three times before it came out and then like after other movies come out and I weigh it against everything else and the things that could have I felt could have been done better, the things that people went crazy over because there was so much black excellence in it. And I think there was the backlash because people were really pissed off that people were putting so much on this film. I think that like people we were excited about the response to it, the overwhelming response, but I think people also turned off by it. And I think the difference here is that people didn't get that same excitement or buzz for it, for Captain Marvel. But there wasn't that same excitement or buzz for other Marvel films that turned out to do well in the box office after they came out. People weren't fucking going nuts and through the roof for uh, Guardians of the Galaxy before it came out because it was a property that not that many people knew about. But when they went to see the film, 
It spread through word of mouth. The reviews came out and people were enjoying the film and they brought went back again and again and again and brought family and friends. So that's what works. Okay, one thing I want to talk about is one of the things that I do. Of course, I'm a writer, I'm a creative, but that means that I'm a work for hire. So I have to pretty much build the market for myself. I have to raise interest sometimes. And sometimes it's already there and I have to capitalize on it. Sometimes the shit is up and I don't want to do anything. And then like the whole buzz dies down and then I'm like, I have to build it back up. So what this is, what, what, what the, the interesting dynamic is that we passed on Black History Month and now it's March. And March, now there's a whole bunch of uh, ideas and, and story things and topics that I would like to write about and I can write about. And it's just a matter of pitching them all or getting somebody to pay me to write them all and pay me in a timely fashion after they run. So that's the, that's, that's the thing, right? But in order to get that to happen, you need to have a, I want you to write this because I know you can do this well and I know people will read it. Now, if you compare that to anything in any field where revenue or buzz or is generated through interest, fan interest, or who's hot right now, right? Uh, I had this interesting discussion with an older writer, and they were explaining to me the dynamic of why uh, athletes get pissed off and angry when everybody's up there ask, asking them questions, hounding them about every detail of their career, whether it be free agency or their life or what they do on the court and how they hate it and how it makes them miserable. I am kind of on that side. I, it would be great if people just let people play, let things play out, wait and see how things happen. But the problem is that that's not how media works. We have to sell something. And not only we have to sell something, is we have to talk about it to, to keep the interest up. Or since the interest is up, it goes the other way. We talk about it because other people are going to want to hear about it or talk about it. So it's all about what people care about and what they're interested in. He further explained that while it might bother the artist or the creative or the athlete, whatever it may be, that they just want to do what they do without the hassle. The thing is, it's kind of what you signed on for. Because you don't create art or you don't perform this sport in an empty arena or in a vacuum. The reason why people are interested in what you do is because they care enough. They're invested emotionally and personally enough in your whatever, your, your, your journey, your quest, your travels. They will come out to see you. 
If you're a comedian on tour, they're going to pay money to come see you. People are going to want you on their podcast to talk to you about stuff. They're going to write about you on Twitter. And it's because of that people actually care and they're invested in what you do. This might bother you. This might piss you off. This might make you wish that people would just leave you the fuck alone and let you do what you do. But the thing is, if these people don't care anymore... If these people aren't interested anymore, if nobody wants your take anymore, you're done. And you'll be by yourself and free and able to wander the world and do whatever you want without anybody bothering you or asking you for your take. And you might be wishing that somebody did. So there's there's sides to it. You know. And when I have to do an art, when I want to do an article, I want to run it. I have to kind of hope that, hey, Dart's writing about this. Yes, we definitely need this. So as much as like I bemoan being on Twitter sometimes and I hate the response I get and all the people in my um, mentions just saying dumb shit and me having to block people just coming at me left and right without that I wouldn't have a gauge to know if people even care about what I say on both sides I don't like having idiots following me and having hate follows and jumping in my mentions but the thing is that does that outweigh the people that actually get it and understand and actually add to conversations that I have that does not weigh it. So it's like um, Jalen Rose was saying with Kyrie Irving. The shit that you go through or the grief that you get for that five minutes at your locker. You get to leave and go home and live a wonderful life because of these fans. Because of the checks you get. And also it affords you the opportunity to do film. Have commercials. Sell your own sneaker. You know. So it's if you just wanted to play basketball and and just play your ba- play basketball and do nothing else, then that'd be different. But that's not the case with you. And again, when I talk to my sports writer friends or or my um contemporaries that that work in this field, their take is different than mine. Because as much as I love writing about sports, I don't do it full time. And they're the ones that are in the locker room around somebody in their drawers. And they're like, I don't want to be here. I'm here because people care. And that's why I'm getting paid to have this recorder in your face. That's why I get paid to go on TV and talk about you with other people that are also paid to talk about you. And that's why I get paid to write these articles on my MacBook. And send them to somewhere where they post them up because they need this constant barrage, this this information. They need it. But also it's being generated because people care enough to read it. So if there was no interest, there would be no article. Which is interesting. You know, it's a chicken and the egg thing. I've always been on the side of 
I wish that sports journalism, especially in this day and age with real-time social media, would wait more. Because if you go on YouTube, right, and you look up uh, storylines from a particular team, whether it be the Yankees, whether it be the Red Sox, whether it be the Celtics, whether it be the, uh, the Warriors, whether it be the Houston, the Houston Rockets, the Houston Astros, any team, the 76ers, it's up and down. They're out. They're in. The season's over. They're back. They have the best starting five in the NBA. They're disappointing. This shit changes from week to week to week to week to week. Do they have the luxury of waiting around for two weeks and saying, let's see how it goes, and saying nothing, and then saying, well, this is what happened the last two weeks. They don't. They don't have that luxury. I can. I don't write about sports. If I was, if my livelihood depended on me having to write about sports, I would have to write about the shit daily. Then I don't have the, then I, then I look like an idiot being like, nah, I'm going to wait and see while everybody else is talking. So there's that. Now in the realm of art and art and media and entertainment, I can have somewhat of that take. When someone says an album is a classic after a weekend that LeBron a and And also, that's another thing. So LeBron has the shop. He has uh, the shop episodes and he has his friends on. And it's like he's doing crisis PR for them in some in some cases. He has uh, Drake on and then he pushes his little uh, agenda. Again, everybody has their narrative. And LeBron, he knows that like with the shop. He has the opportunity to change it or kind of take it in another direction. So he does. The last time he had on um, AB, you know, he talked, he got to say what he wanted to about, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, whom I'm not a fan of. And also, you know, later about his coach, which he's kind of let the reins go on that squad. But, you know, he just let him he just let him go because that's pretty much what he got him there for. Go. Then he had on um, he had on A.D., Anthony Davis. You know, he lets him talk and they talk about things. So it's like it's their opportunity to, you know, talk and get their things out that like the media doesn't own and push. They get to talk. They get to have their time to shine. But it doesn't always work out to their benefit. Of course, you know, I haven't talked about the Celtics in forever. Uh, The podcast last episode of season two was on December 10th. And the first episode again was March 1st. So I pretty much haven't talked about the season forever. The Boston Celtics have been woefully disappointing woefully and it's for a lot of reasons they're base reasons but it's there are a lot of reasons but the base reasons have to do with Gordon Hayward's costing so much money and finally being healthy and using air quotes so that they have to put him in the lineup in order to actually get some of that money back and I think they rushed him back so they put him in the starting lineup and so what happens is you have Jalen Brown and you have uh, Jason Tatum 
Jason Tatum had a phenomenal rookie year and a great postseason. Then you have Jalen Brown, who had an amazing sophomore season. And a fantastic postseason. And their progression was kind of halted by having to share space and time with Gordon Hayward, who wasn't all the way back, and have to integrate, integrate him, integrate him, and, and reintegrating Kyrie means that um, you take Terry Rozier, who was scary Terry, and just make him be Terry again, but be scary when we need you to be. And that log jam and that awkwardness just didn't work out at the beginning of the season. So after the first 20 games of the season at 10 and 10, then Brad's like, all right, I got to do something different, shake this up. So we're going to take um, Marcus Smart, who is supposed to be like a super, a super sub. Because you, you have that five, right? So the first five is supposed to be, on paper, the first five is supposed to be Al Horford. Right? So you got Al Horford. And then, that's the five. So four through one is Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Kyrie Irving. Now, if you put that lineup in on... Live 19, you might whoop people's ass. But again, you have to play the game in real life. That shit's not working out. So we got to move things around. So we're going to now uh, switch it so that the one's Kyrie, the two is Marcus Smart. The bench used to be Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier. Mook, that's Mark. That's Marcus Morris Sr., for those who don't know. Uh, then you have uh, Daniel Theiss. Then you have all of Australia, Aaron Baines. Then you have, like, Semi Ojale. Then you're supposed to have um, Yabusele, who I don't know how much time they thought he was going to get. Then you have, like... Uh, Wanamaker and bringing up the rear you have Time Lord that's Robert Williams that's supposed to be the, the bench that's supposed to be a super deep bench it's supposed to kill folks what ended up happening is they had to move someone to the bench uh, Jalen Brown just wasn't playing up to expectations so you demote him to the bench because having his firepower coming off the bench in short minutes can change the game and Gordon Hayward they had to take him out the starting lineup and put him on the bench with Jalen. So you're still trying to figure out how to get Jalen to play with Gordon. Getting Jalen to play with Gordon was a problem when they were both in the game at the same time to start the game. Now it's going to be a problem when they're in the game at the same time when the starters are off the court. Now you got to move some other shit around. So now we got to sometimes put Mook in the starting lineup. Sometimes we got to put Aaron Baines in the starting lineup with Al. So we need to start moving stuff around, moving stuff around, trying to get things to work, trying to get a trying to find anything that works.
Then you have the games where Kyrie doesn't play and the team plays okay because, you know, they're sharing the ball and doing all these other things. And then people are complaining because it looks like Kyrie stops the ball, but he's also the biggest closer the team has. So there are times when there's a lull and you need somebody to definitely get, get points up there and score and finish a game. Kyrie is the best finisher. And here's the other issue. It's not just that and on-court things. Now you have external pressures, right? Because this entire season, the NBA narrative was how it started. The Celtics are going to be the next great team in the East. Now let me bring it back. The Celtics overachieved two years ago with that lineup that they had. And they went to the Eastern Conference Finals and got blowed out or blown out depending on which one you prefer, um, in the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, they overachieved. They weren't supposed to make it there. So what do they do? They make a progression the next season. And they make it back to the Eastern Conference Finals. But the thing is that how they made it back to the Eastern Conference Finals, the first game of the season, six minutes into the season, Gordon Hayward, the highly touted free agent who signed with the Celtics was supposed to make them a contender, with LeBron still in the East, had a horrific injury first game of the season. And they kind of... Everyone's hearts just sank at that moment, right? And they fought back towards the end of the game, but they ended up losing. After that game was over, the entire... uh, team of analysts were just sad and despondent at what happened and how it happened. And um, Charles Barkley said, the season's over. One game into the season, Charles Barkley said that the Boston Celtics season, the 2017-18 season was over after the opening game. Don't forget that. Everybody had these expectations for the Celtics. That shit went away immediately. All right? So what happens? The Celtics go on a huge winning streak. They run out to looking like the best team in the East. They're killing everybody. Gordon Hayward's out for the year. He's not going to be back to next season. So everybody's like, hey, when that dude comes back next season, it's going to be bananas. Because I was at the game. Uh, I believe it was November 16th, 2017, when the Celtics beat the Golden State Warriors. That put the entire league on notice. They're like, yo, these dudes, they're coming. It's it's their, it's going to be their league. Fast forward ahead, um, Kyrie Irving gets injured. He's out for the rest of the season, not going to be in the postseason. It happens again. Everybody looks at the Celtics. They're like, we thought they were going to make a run, do all this stuff. Now they don't have Kyrie. They're done. They don't have Gordon or Kyrie. It's a wrap. Season's over. What happens? Brad Stevens does his best work when his team has to go through adversity. When they're up against it. When nobody believes in them. He can motivate that team like no one else. He can get them to do things that nobody thinks that they're capable of executing. As long as people write them off, 
as long as people think they can't do it, as long as they've been written out of the equation, then they perform. So what happens? The Celtics go on a run through the postseason, lose Daniel Thice. So they got three rotation pieces out and they go all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals Pushed the Cavs to game seven, had them up 3-2, did not put them away in game six, even with a great shooting uh, shooting game. They just couldn't do the things to put them away on the road. Lose a home game in game seven in the fourth quarter. Now, the season's over. In between these three years, of course, they got uh, the number one draft pick, traded it with Philly, fleeced Philly, still got the guy they wanted at one. So they have all these draft picks. They have all this young talent. They have a great young coach, great front office, great GM. So they're going to get Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward back from the team that was minutes away from going to the NBA Finals. All the expectations are for the Celtics. Everybody thinks they're going to get over the hump. To the point where, I don't know if you watch Game of Zones on Bleacher Report. They pretty much did this thing where um, you had Brad Stevens in a room. And uh, (laughs) they had Greg Popovich. It's like one of the ice joints. And he comes in and he, he sticks the playbook in his chest. And he deems them the next team. So everybody thought the Celtics were going to be out of here. They were projected to have the second most wins behind Golden State. Because they had added Boogie Cousins to the team. But you got to play the games in real life. Start out 10-10, and win 8 straight. Flounder for the rest of the season. Uh, Largely because... External reasons. Those external reasons being this entire season, everybody thinks it's just a precursor to them trading everybody or damn near everybody to get AD. But they only all turn everyone into assets immediately to trade for AD. But only in the instance that Kyrie Irving comes back. And re-signs. This puts tremendous stress on the team. Now, Kyrie Irving had an idea. At a fan event before the season, he says to this team, Hey, I'd wanna come I wanna come back if you guys will have me. He thinks that if I do this, it's going to assuage any of the stress from people saying I'm going to go to New York. Because Kyrie thinks like we think. This team's out of here. Think about all the fun he had playing with the team before he got injured. All the fun he had watching this team uh, grow from the bench during the playoffs. But it was still hard for him to watch. Knowing he's going to come back and he's going to destroy the league with these cats. It doesn't happen. So now there are grumblings. And what happens is when the team's not playing well, not performing. And the team isn't gelling. And they look like they're struggling on the court. That's when the chatter begins. 
That makes this season, which is supposed to be a cakewalk and, and, and a fun time, not fun. Because now the talk on the NBA circuit is, is Kyrie really going to stay with this team if they underperform? Then the other talk is, it looks like they really need AD. And who's going to be traded for AD? The entire team has been turned into assets. Everybody was underperforming. And everybody was underperforming. So that's AD is going to be traded for Jalen Brown. I wonder how that affected his confidence when he started out the season badly. Um, we're going to, tr- uh, we can't move Jason Tatum, even though Jason Tatum had regressed from his second season because he was r- running with that mamba mentality instead of getting his ass to the hole, you know, driving to the hoop, you know, getting easy baskets like he was earlier. Instead of doing fucking fadeaways all the goddamn time. Um, Then you look at Gordon Hayward, who is underperforming and it's causing stress to the team because they kind of feel like they they pushed him out there too soon. But the man's getting paid so much that he has to play. What are you going to do? Sit him out? Who else is ready? You know? So then you have Mook, who was having an excellent season, but then tailed off after the All-Star break a little bit. The Celtics went into a big funk, started losing a lot of games after the All-Star break. And everything began to compound because what made it all worse was when Anthony Davis openly requested a trade. There's Still two years left on his deal at the time he requests he, he requests the trade, but you can get to that one season left, right? And then they're thinking about what do we do? Do we do we um do we sit him? You can't sit him. But it's all fucked up now, to quote Puffy. The cat's out the bag, and now everybody's talking about, oh, you gotta trade everybody. But Jason Tatum, actually, you could leave Jason Tatum in the deal while they're playing. And you're talking about guys that are under the age of 20. You're t- talking about guys that are like 22, 21, 23. These are young guys, but they've been in the league two, between two and four years. This is going to affect them. This is going to affect the entire team. And then people coming in and asking Kyrie, is he going to stay in Boston, New York, talking about we have two uh Slots, max slots open. If y'all want to come play here for this shitty ass franchise, but we got money. So you just start thinking KD's miserable. The Golden State Warriors aren't performing like they usually do for similar reasons to the Celtics. But nowhere near as bad a situation. Also injuries, which happen when you have multiple deep runs in the playoffs. Kyrie Irving is miserable because people keep asking him the same goddamn questions and harassing him. However, it's what he signed on for when he left LeBron because he had LeBron as a buffer who got all these damn questions. And he just got to ride along and be like, I don't want to be Batman. I mean, I don't want to be Robin to your Batman. So he goes to another city. He gets to be Green Arrow in Boston. Then he realizes, uh, I don't like being Green Arrow no more because, you know, shit's a little different out here. 
It's not like it was before. Things were going all smoothly and I was getting all the love and attention when it was all gravy out here. Now it's getting a little dicey, getting a little rough. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to scowl more because people keep asking me the same damn questions. And I was on the side of Kyrie sometimes. Like if people kept asking me that all this dumb shit, I'd have the same reaction as him. And then I talk to my um, journalist compatriots and they say, if he doesn't want people to react this way, all he has to do is deflect to the team or answer the question this way or do this. Because what he's doing now is making it more of a story. And I'm like, nah, but you got a point. So I can see both sides. And unfortunately, being whole brained, that doesn't fucking help me. The worst thing about being me, I'm a biracial, whole-brained, middle child. Okay? They gave me a, a personality test when I was a kid. After finding out I was whole-brained, because they wouldn't find out what the fuck was wrong with me at Latin. So they gave me a personality test. I came out INTJ. The specific INTJ I am is INTJ-A. A is architect. What I just told you is that I'm basically a Batman villain template. And also, you know, I remember damn near everything from my entire life and I don't sleep. Yay. So I ponder questions like this all the time. And I'm going back and forth with these things. And what I do is I try to make everything a relatable analogous to my own life and what I do. So I can better understand the situation. Because when I deal and interact with people or entities, I kind of fall into the same line. How do I handle situations I don't like being in? And how does that affect how I'm perceived by others? And how does that play into how it can affect my uh, quote unquote um, marketability or perceived accessibility amongst the people. Because I'll tell you, over the last month plus, I've been hit up by several people who need an authority or somebody to comment for their book or their article. Or help them do research for something. Like, for instance, I got hit up by somebody from um, uh, Hassan Minaj's show on um, Netflix, uh, Patriot Act. So she hit me up, asked me some questions about some things, talked on the phone for a minute. And then I was like, I'll send you some reading materials, some stuff that I wrote over the past few years about this specific thing. Sent her about five articles that I wrote over the past mm, eight, five to eight years. I haven't heard back, right? It might be used in the show, might have already been used in the show. I don't know. I've been busy. I've been hit up uh, as, to be interviewed in a few books, a few, not like one or two, few articles, few. Now, their interactions with me would probably tell a different story than the ones you get if you ask me a question I don't want to answer on Twitter and I come off like the angry person. 
or if I quote tweet somebody on Twitter and write some shit that gets people like, oh, what you trying to say? Or like today when I just made a simple comparison, which I felt made perfect sense and was a perfect parallel between Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman based on how people have been deriding and writing Captain Marvel and critiquing everything from the trailers to the rollout to uh, the lack of buzz, I'm using air quotes, to try to talk about how they don't want to see Captain Marvel. If you don't want to see Captain Marvel, you don't like Captain Marvel, that's totally fine. Everything isn't for everybody. And that's, and the property isn't something everyone's a fan of. It happens. But don't try to make excuses. Just own up to your shit. I'm not into this. I'm not into fucking Shazam. I never liked the character. I'm going to own up to it. I'm not going to make excuses for, hey, how come no one's talking about this? I've been around the rodeo to know that that's not an accurate gauge of how you know if a film's going to do well. Everybody was talking about Aquaman. People went to see Aquaman. It did numbers, but it's trash. Then nobody was talking about Venom except to say bad shit about Venom and how trash Venom is. Everybody went to see it and they kept going to see it. And it did well. And it's trash. So what does it matter about Buzz and all this other shit? Throw that out. You don't want to see it because you're not interested. Fine. You don't, you're not into the character. Fine. There are plenty of other films out. There are going to be plenty of other comic book films out that might interest you. Talk about that shit instead or don't say shit. Just talk about something else. Go talk about us. Talk about the trailer for um, Captive State. Other shit. There's other shit. There's more. This entire time I've been doing this podcast, I've been walking back and forth in my living room, hoping that the people that were in my hallway earlier aren't coming back so you don't hear them instead of me. So there's that. I don't think there are other podcasts that actually talk about shit like that while they're doing it. And as I'm saying this, I'm like, why don't I shut up about it? And at the same time, I'm also like, nah, nah, nah. This is what people listen to the podcast for. And at the same time, I'm like, are they actually listening? I don't know if this is a selling point or not. And every time I I stop and pause before I say something else, I'm like, is this pause awkward? I'm not going to edit this shit, so it don't matter. Y'all know that, right? I don't, I don't edit this podcast. I mean, this should be obvious. I just take the shit and upload. Oh, and here's another thing. Thing about me not editing the podcast. Full disclosure. Complete um, transparency. When you record these podcasts, it gives you the option. First off, uh, if you're going to monetize your podcast, it gives you the option to pick. I've mentioned this last podcast of which ad um, a sponsorship you're going to put in the podcast. I only put um, ads and sponsorships at the beginning of the podcast, but you actually get more money if you split your podcast in half and put the ad in the middle. I don't edit my podcast, so I'm only going to put the ad at the beginning. But you could get more money in podcast and, and sponsorships that give you more money. So 
the first two uh, sponsorships I got were 10 CPM. I mentioned what I explained what that is and 15 CPM. The first one was flip um, flipboard. The flipboard joint ended after two months. It was 15 CPM. The one I have now is 10. I put it at the beginning of the podcast. If I get another sponsorship, uh, I get the text, the email or whatever. And they tell me, depending on how much the CPM is, they're going to want me to put it in the middle of the podcast. Now, the thing is that if it's going to pay more, am I going to be somebody who's, who's actually splits my podcast in half and actually edits? Cause I don't edit shit just to get the money or the potential money, I should say, because it's not guaranteed a CPM. So it's based on how many listeners I have or if my audience grows or what have you. And that's something that I've been thinking about, like, yo, would I actually do that? Because it's not like I'm making uh, AdSense money like they did on YouTube. It's not like that. A lot of shit has to happen for me to make anything off the podcast. And then you have to cash out. And you're not going to cash out with grocery money if you don't need that grocery money immediately. Like you're not dying for grocery money. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not just going to cash out for the opportunity to be able to get a lineup from the barbershop. That's dumb. No, I could rob somebody for that kind of money. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not really. I would. I don't want to have to go to the ATM. Let's punch somebody in the face and take their shit. Um, I ain't going to do that. Maybe. You don't know. I am a journalist. But then again, I wouldn't do that because that'd be dry snitching and I'm old and we don't know that, but you won't know why I did it. But I have a lot of listeners and somebody's going to be like, yo, ain't that the dude with the podcast who punched somebody in the stomach and took their money so I could get a lineup? That was stupid because he admitted to doing the shit on the podcast. But then I could put pressure on people to not snitch. You don't know. That's the beauty of it. You don't know if this is if I'm being really me or if sometimes I'm doing, you know, a character. I don't do characters. This is all me. Now you're wondering if I'm a Gemini, I'm a Leo. Now I just want to get the fuck off this phone and stop doing this damn podcast because I have nothing else to talk about. And I'm trying to figure out what the fuck to name it. That awkward pause right there tells me I need to stop doing this shit right now. 